It's an em- emphasis. It's a focus. One of our four core values is missional engagement. And we've chosen that core value to emphasize it this year underneath our mission statement. And so go to grow is our vision statement emphasis, if I could put it that way. And there's a unique passage of scripture that we want to talk about in Sunday school in the morning service. And by the way, come back tonight. And uh, I think the weather should hold out. I don't think it's going to be too cold until after the service is over. But we'll see. Uh, Pastor Martins is here and in town, and he'll be here to speak tonight in the evening service. I hope you'll come back and hear him. It's always a delight to hear uh, Pastor preach. That's tonight. But John 15, you might be familiar with this, but I hope you'll be even more incited. It'll be more encouraging in, after the insights that we have today and we share together. One of the main things you can do if you learn the Bible, how to study for yourself, is how do things connect? It's probably the number one key that you could probably uh, think of when it comes to reading the Bible. And so we want to do that today a little bit. Let me read the, the full text for you. In fact, I'm not, no, I'm not going to read the whole text. Let me read, read just the pr- first two verses and the last verse. I am, 15.1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch, and I'd underline that, Because what we're talking about today is not for the spiritual elite. It's not for the super disciples of Jesus that really are, you know, top shelf or whatever you want to say. No, it says every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it. So pruning is not a bad thing. In fact, if you're disciplined and God, you know, if you know anything about a vine in Israel... It, dra- it runs across the ground. And sometimes in order to keep it fruitful, you have to pick it up off the ground and chop off the dead stuff. Okay, that's what they do. So when he says takes away, it, it means take it up and prune it. Okay, so that it can bear more fruit and eventually much fruit. And you can see the progression in the text. That it may, be, that may, it may verse 2, bear more fruit already... You are clean, plural pronoun, talking to the disciples, because of the word I have spoken to you. I'm going to point it out in the main service this morning that Judas Iscariot has already left. Because earlier in chapter 13, when Jesus gets down on his hands and feet to wash theirs uh, feet, he says to them, now all of you are not clean. You are clean, but not all of you. In other words, Judas was still hanging around, and he wasn't clean. And I want you to think today of pictures. See, there are people who look like they abide in Jesus, but they really don't, because his word's not in them. And those are taken away branches, and the Bible says are burned. But there are branches that at times need to be picked up and pruned, i.e. Peter. And you're going to see him in this story, too, Right? So he says, you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. Eleven times in chapter 15, the word abide, remain, stay. It's a relational term. And the branch cannot bear fruit. That phrase is eight times in this chapter. Bearing fruit. They go together. And I'm going to make, that's my biggest point this morning in the main service. 
unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. The verse everyone pretty much knows. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. And then the famous phrase, for apart from me, you can do some things. No. A few things. Nothing. Nothing. Then the verse we want to concentrate on, can we just go to the end of this section, verse 16? You did not choose me. Jesus chose his disciples. They didn't choose him, but I chose you and appointed you. That's commissioning language. This is the missionary text. That you should go. See, that's our theme this year. Go to grow. You should go and you should bear fruit. It says, and so that whatever you ask the Father, and that fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Okay? That's our text today. Let me go back a little bit. We're going to do a little bit something here. There are seven I am, I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am the vine is the last. It's number seven. Can you tell me what the other six are? And if you could tell me what they are and the chapter they're in, there should be some sort of bonus prize, but I don't have one. So what are the other six? Do you remember? Okay, we have I am the vine. I gave you one. I am the way. Do you remember the chapter? Was that Stephanie? Yeah. Woo! I see, I actually have a bonus thing. I should throw you candy, something. That's good if you got that. Okay, I am the way, 14. That's true. That's two of them. In fact, that's the one that's number six on the list. So we have six and seven. One through five remain. Woo! Stop. Come on, I don't have anything to give you. Can okay, you know what the chapter is? 11. Do you want to, you want to teach the lesson? Okay, that's three. Brian? I am the bread of life. What chapter? Yes. Wow, I'm really blowing it. I should have something up here for you guys. Six. Okay, that, and then we have a couple, three more. I'm the light of the world, chapter eight. At least, what, two more? I am the door. Yes, or the gate. Yep, chapter... No, chapter... We got that one already. You can't steal that one, brother. Come on. I am the door is chapter 10. And so is the last one is in chapter 10 that we haven't named. Yes. Good shepherd. Yes. You guys both got a tag team. So there's a seven. So why is that important? Why? Because this is an identity chapter. Okay. Knowing who Jesus is. Right. And how you relate to him. Connect to him. Is crucial, right? He says, I am the vine, true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, we're not done yet, though, because he didn't say, I am the vine. What did he say? I am the true vine, all right? Now, in the New Testament, sometimes the word true means true as in of opposition to false. So, Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine. He could be saying... I'm the true vine, um, as opposed to other false vines that you could be connected to. I don't think contextually, and I'm going to show you why, that's the case. Because true is also used in the New Testament 
to say true meaning as the fulfillment of it, like what the other thing was pointing to. In other words, not because the other thing was false, but the other thing wasn't really what was behind it. In other words, there's more to it. Hebrew says that these were the true tabernacle. In other words, here's the idea. The tabernacle in the Old Testament that the Jews used, right, was not the true one. It was a picture, or we'd say a shadow or a type. What's the true tabernacle, or even in Solomon's day, there was a real temple. But it's not the true temple. What's the true temple? We are. The, so, so those things that were physical, that you could really touch and see, they weren't what the, the fulfillment was, something later that became a spiritual reality. So we don't have tabernacles that we go to, and we don't have a temple one place in the world that all Christians go to, because ultimately what was the truth of it The reality, we might say, of it was in Jesus. And so, here's the thing. If he is the true vine, there must have been a vine in the Old Testament that was the physical thing, or or the first time it's used, and it was pointing to something else. And I want to show you what that is. I'm going to give you some examples real quick, in case you think I'm sucking that on my thumb. Jesus said in John 1, 9, I am the true light. Okay? In other words, there was creation light when he created that in Genesis, but that light pointed to a greater light, and that's the light of Jesus. Jesus said to the woman at the well that God is seeking true worshipers. He's obviously not seeking false worshipers, but true worshipers, in other words, who worship the true reality that God is in Jesus. He is the true bread, right? What does he mean by true bread? What does it mean there's false bread out there? What he means is that in the Old Testament, God gave them manna. But what did the manna, did the physical manna, was that all there was? No, there was a true bread that you would eat to sustain yourself in the wilderness. And it wasn't something you put in your mouth. It's something you put in your soul. And Jesus says, you know, Moses gave him that, but God given you me. I am the true bread, he says. And then he also says that God is the true God. Yes, not the false God. But the reality, this is the God, and Jesus is in God, and that's the reality. So he uses it many times in the Gospel of John when he says, true, this is the fulfillment sense, or the reality. Something else was pointing to it, but this is what was really intended in the end. Let me show you what God did when the vine in that case. Turn to Isaiah in chapter 5. So God had a vine in the Old Testament. But we're going to show you what the vine originally was and what it pointed to because the original vine didn't turn out so good. And Jesus comes and says, you know, this is what the vine was meant to be, right? And you were supposed to be branches of this vine. Isaiah 5, beginning in verse 1. Let me sing for my beloved... My love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones, which by the way in Israel is no small task. And planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. And that's, when Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, you have to understand, this is where he's going to. Um, They have olive trees. It's not, not a grape thing, an olive thing. So you walk into Jesus was going to a place that was owned by someone. He must obviously had permission. But there was an olive grove. 
And in the olive grove, there was a, a tower in it, probably, and there was a smaller, at the bottom of the tower, you could go in the bottom of it, and all the tools and things were kept in there. And people would dig it out, and they would put, there was probably a stone wall around it. And Jesus may have used that as the, you know, as an analogy and so forth and so on. But that's where he would have went, went in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they would have slept there um, on nights. They would have slept out in the open when he went to places like the Passover and stuff and the feasts that were there. It says he built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes. In other words, it came time to the fruit season when it would bear its grapes. He says, but it yielded wild grapes. And wild grapes are unfit. They, they don't make wine with them. They're not poisonous, but they're sour. They don't taste it. You can't use them. In other words, the whole thing was for nothing. And now, O oh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah... Judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? And it was, what more could I have done, God said. I mean, what have I done? I, could have, I mean, I built a tower. I dug out the stones. I put the vineyard on a great location on a hill that was prosperous. I mean, it was good soil. He says, when I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? I mean, I did everything that anybody could possibly do. So God's basically saying, not my fault that we have wild grapes. And now I tell you, what will I do to my vineyard? I'll remove its hedge. In other words, I'm going to take the wall down. And it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. And I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns, that was the fall, shall grow up. And I will also command the clouds that they don't rain upon it. In other words, God's going to curse it, basically. And it's going to come down. It's, going to be, it's not even going to be a vineyard anymore. And then he tells us who he's talking about. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah. So Israel in the north and Judah in the south. He's talking about his vineyard is Israel. And are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice. Now, now here's the key. I'm not making a big deal of this this morning. But you know what he says? Why is it that God says there's no grapes? And why is he going to tear it all down? And why, why is he going to bring judgment? Because you know what happens in the book of Isaiah. Israel is visited by Assyria. And they get wiped out. And eventually, again, Babylon. Why? They were idolatrous. It doesn't say that. Look at the text. What was he looking for that he didn't find? What were the wild grapes? I'm looking for justice... And you know what I saw? Behold, look what I saw. Bloodshed. In other words, look how you treat each other. Awful, he says. I'm looking for righteousness. In other words, for right relationships with people. He says, but behold, you know what I get? An outcry. People crying for help because you take advantage of them and do all kinds of things. See, you know what he said? Here's why I'm tearing down the vineyard. Because horizontally, things are awful. The way you look at each other, think about each other, treat each other. So the vertical became a problem, and it was objectified horizontally. That's a big deal. Followed by, can I, can I just outline it for you, if you put it on there? There are six woes in this chapter. He tells what the problem was, and now he tells, here's the consequences of that kind of problem. 
You can look at them, circle them if you do this in your Bible, if you would. Chapter 5 and verse 8. Woe. See it there? Woe does not mean to stop. Whoa. There's a joke. You know, what was the name of Isaiah's horse? Ismi. Because he says, woe Ismi. Okay, that wasn't that great. But woe does not mean stop, like you stop your horse. It means judgment. It's, an, it's a judgment oracle, if you want to get te- technical. It means it's a pronouncement that God's going to judge you. Okay? And in each one of these, he tells why. All right? Chapter 5 and verse 8. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field, until there's no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. In other words, these people are building up all their own stuff. And they care about their house and their lands and their, you know what, till there's no more room. God says, don't worry about it because I'm going to wipe it out and it'll be desolate. They're all, those houses aren't going to be lived in anymore. That's how serious God is about it. Verse 11. See it again? Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink who tarry late in the evening as wine inflames them. Now, these are people who are intoxicated, drunk, partying, self-indulgent, fleshliness. He goes, you know what? That stuff, I'm going to judge it. Chapter 5 and verse 18. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes, who say, let them be quick, let them speed his work that we may see it. Here he says, you know, God says, all these things that you're doing, and you're involving other people, you're deceptive, and all the sinful things, I'm going to judge that. Verse 20, the next one. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's our day, isn't it? (laughs) Isn't that America? He says, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In other words, people reverse everything. And that's what's taking place in our day. Verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. Shrewd in their own sight. In other words, people who think they've got it together, but they're not borrowing from God's wisdom. They have their own wisdom. Their own, they see life from their perspective and what they want, and it's not from God's point of view. And then lastly, he says, verse 22, Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine, valiant men and mixing strong drink. In other words, you're champions at all the wrong things. In other words, you think this is important and this is what you're best at, but God says, you know what matters most? You don't care about any of those things. See, those are the things God says in this chapter. And then he does, let me give you one more structural thing. Chapter 5, I'm sorry, chapter 5, there's four therefores. Let me give them to you. Verse 13, therefore, this is what's going to happen to them. Verse 14, therefore, Sheol has as large as appetite. In other words, the place of the dead is going to open its mouth and take more people because I'm going to judge them. When the Assyrians comes, they're going to wipe people out. Verse 24 and 25 are the other two. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and you can see it for yourself, and then verse 25, therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them. And their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. I mean, that's bad. That's bad. But why does it take place that way? Wild grapes. What takes place? How does it happen? Jesus, if you'll turn to the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 21, tells a story, and you may remember it, 
It's a story about a vineyard. Because <laughs> Jesus tells, and if you don't know this by now, Jesus' stories we call parables. They're not about your personal application, although there's a lot of personal application. Jesus is telling the story of Israel using parables. And sometimes it's the story of Israel because of their evilness and sin. Sometimes he tells parables because this is what they should be, but they're not. And he tells stories. These are the stories of Israel. And he retells them all because he's retelling the story of Israel with himself at the center. So he tells a story about what happens. And, and I want to tell you this story, and I want you to look at it, because this is why it's so important to get the vineyard part of it. Because when Jesus comes in John 15, he is saying, you know, the nation of Israel was God's vineyard. But they, they produce wild grapes, and they turned away from God, and God had to judge them. And this is why Jesus says, this is why I came. I came to be what the true vine. See, they were a vine, but they fell way short. So there had to be a different one, a better one, one that would really fulfill, in the sense, all that the vine was supposed to be. And Jesus would say, watch, that's me. Now, interestingly enough, before we read the story, Jesus, on the night that he's talking to this, this is chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, all go to 13, actually, too. They all go together. And at this point of the text, Jesus has left the upper room where he's having the supper that he had with them to celebrate the Passover. And they are walking in the upper room. We don't know exactly where because it's obviously not the same anymore. But on the upper west side of the, the new part of the city, Jesus is walking in a nice house. It's a house with a very large upper room, which maybe Mark's house, the, the, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark, his family may have let Jesus use that uh, because Mark is in the story and he gets his gown ripped off in the garden and all that stuff. So it's possible that that's whose house it was because they were seemingly wealthy. This is a relative of Barnabas and so forth. So they're walking, but they're walking down the left-hand side and the, uh, the west side. The t they come down the streets and the temple is here. They'll keep walking past that all the way down out the gate up to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's, a, it's quite a walk, actually. Probably from top to bottom all the way across there, maybe 45 minutes. It's, a, it's a, not a short walk. Um, but they're walking by there, and I can't prove this, but it's possible. Jesus walks down. Halfway through the walk is the temple, and they are able to go. They could go in there, and above the place that only men could go in, the court of the men, right above, before you get into the holy place and all that, there's this gigantic wall or facing of a wall. And Josephus describes it in all of his writings, which is very shortly after the time of Jesus, and before 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed. And he describes all the inner workings and how the temple looked. and all. You can still read his books. To, it's called The Antiquities by Josephus. He was a Jewish general that went over to the Roman side when they came in because he saw that they were going to be destroyed and that God was in it. So he went over to their side and they kept him alive. But he wrote the historical annals of all of those wars and everything that took place. And in his works, he talks about that on that wall that the men could have gone and see, there was a gigantic grapevine. It was huge. In fact, the, he, Josephus says that the grapes on the vine, and the whole thing was made of gold, he said that the grapes themselves were as big as a man. Okay? So when you walk by this, it wasn't like a small logo. <laughs> this was enormous. It'd be like the size, you know, 
of this back wall here. It's, it's huge. And when you walked over there before you went into the place where only priests and all that could go, there was this gigantic vine with all the grapes and the fruit on it, which is not surprising because um, I, I have replicas, and I could have brought them, but there's so little today. Maybe it's at the passing around. But coinage, after Jesus, the coinage of the first revolt that got them destroyed in 70 A.D., and the second revolt, which was the Bar Kokhba, was about 60 years after that, all those time periods had little coins on them, like this big, and on them were little vines and branches and fruit, the grapevines. Because all throughout history, Israel has seen themselves as that's their identity. And I don't know for sure, but it's possible as Jesus is walking to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's taking the disciples, he goes into the temple and he stands before that and he says these words in John 15. And he says, I am the true vine. See this one on the temple? You, that's Israel, and it was supposed to point to something. And you know what it's supposed to point to? He might say, he might have said it this way, I am the true vine. you got to stay, see, the picture says they didn't stay connected to God. And so they got judged. And Jesus says, you know what the truth of it is? That's me. That's me. You need to stay connected to me, not the temple complex, because that's going to be gone. Not the sacrificial system, that'll be done away with. He says, you need to stay connected to me. And so they would, and maybe that's why he says abiding, because he's going to go away. And they're going to wonder, how do I abide in you if you're not going to be here? And that's why Jesus talks about in the next chapter the Holy Spirit so much. But in our text, listen, Jesus says... That abiding in him and his words in you and he's the vine is absolutely crucial. Let me tell you a story, and this is right before Jesus gets to Jerusalem on his last visit there. And in Matthew chapter 21, if you'll look with me, in verse 33. Hear another parable. There was a master of the house who planted a vineyard. Now watch, he's going to do the same things that God did to his vineyard in Isaiah 5. Remember all the things God did to give it advantages so that there would be no excuse it wouldn't grow. He put a fence around it. And he dug a wine press, just like the other one. And he built a tower. See, all this is the same description of Isaiah 5. And he leased it to tenants and went into another country and, and leased it to tenants. Those were the people of Israel. So he gave it to them so that they could produce fruit. And when the season for the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Now just stop for a minute. Jesus is telling the story of Israel... Israel's the vineyard, right? He's lent it out to them to bear fruit, and they don't. And so Jesus goes to collect the fruit, and this is what we call maybe a fruit inspection, right? And he sends one servant, they kill him, another, another, even more servants. Who do you think these servants might be? Yes, Jesus even says so later on in his very gospel. He says to them in chapter 23, I sent prophets to you. And, and he says, I sent them to you, and you killed them. In fact, Jesus would say, you also are trying to kill me, and you will. 
right? So he sent the prophets. He sent Isaiah, Jeremiah. He sent all the prophets to you, but you would never really listen. That's why he starts this parable with hear, listen, listen and do. Not just listen, listen and do it, he says. He says, he sent other servants, and they did the same to them. And so here's what the vineyard owner, God says. Finally, at the end, he sent his son to them, saying, well, they will respect my son. Jesus is talking about himself. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? What will he do to the vineyard that was disobedient and produced wild grapes in Isaiah 5? Well, it says, whoa, he's going to destroy it. Verse 41, they said to him, he will put those wretches, (laughs) the crowd says, they put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give them the fruit in their seasons. Jesus says to them, have you never read the scriptures? Which, by the way, was an incredible insult. The stone that the builders rejected had become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And that would be the church producing fruit through a group of people of Jew and Gentile alike. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And this story was not left, (laughs) you know, the the religious leaders got it, let me say that. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived he was speaking about them, (laughs) that we're the ones you're talking about. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. See, that's the thing. God judged them. For that. Because why? Because they said they were the vine. They said they were connected. They said that they were God. But when it came time for the fruit inspection, the reality was there was no legitimacy to any of it. See, they looked like they were connected, but they weren't connected. Interestingly enough, just for your own interest or notes, Jesus tells this parable in chapter 21... Right after it, what do you think he does? Turn to chapter 23 of Matthew. What did Jesus do? What did God do in Isaiah 5? He tells the vineyard, this is your problem. I expected to have this fruit inspection bear fruit. It did not. Here's why it didn't. Followed by a series of six woes. Jesus comes and tells them, listen, I'm divine. The true one. This is what the old one pointed to. And if you're going to stay connected to God, it's going to be to me. And if you don't, you will be judged and destroyed. That's as simple as it gets. And after Jesus tells that story and parable, what do you think happens next? Chapter 23 and verse 13. Sound familiar? But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. See that? Now we know what the word woe means, right? means judgment. Look at it again, verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. Verse 23. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes. 27, woe to you. Verse 29, woe to you. See what he's doing? Woe after woe after woe because he is enacting Israel's story. The vine has come to inspect the fruit, and now there is no fruit on the vine. And Jesus says, therefore, you have choices. And here's your choices. And it's interesting, though, can I say, at the end of this chapter and all the woes, which would have been horribly difficult to hear, it isn't Jesus' heart to bring destruction. It's not his desire. Because verse 37 of this chapter Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Remember what Brian said, I think it was? These servants that were killed were the prophets. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, you weren't willing. See? Your house is left to you desolate. See, like I said in the Old Testament and the temple... It was destroyed and desolate. Remember he said, no houses. There won't be anything there. It'll all be wiped out. He goes, that's what happens to you. It's reenacting history because when the true vine came, you didn't want to be connected to it. And Jesus says there are consequences for that. If you turn back, let me close. Going back to John 15. I want to prepare you in these last five minutes for what you're going to hear this morning. And I want you to hear the warning in these verses because we've taken the time today to put the structure together of how Jesus' story and parable mirrors the story of Isaiah 5, right? And I think in our text, he is saying the same thing. In John 15, he says, I'm the true vine... And my father is the vine dresser. Now watch. Here's what happens. Every branch. Remember I told you to underline that at the beginning? Because yeah, all the, most of the pronouns in Isaiah, I mean in John 15 are, are plural. But he does have some singular references. And that's what I want you to concentrate on. What is your job? Jesus is the vine. And if you know him, you are connected to him. You are a branch. And here's your responsibility. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what does he do? He takes it away. Right? And what do you do with them? And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Please notice, there are only two types of branches. The ones that bear fruit and the ones that do not. There is no in between. In other words, this is what your lifestyle indicates. Either you do or you don't. And he prunes it so that it may be more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Judas isn't here because he was a branch lookalike. You can be in Jesus but not really be in Jesus. And he looked like he was, but he never bore fruit. And not any fruit that remained. Right? And therefore he wasn't clean. And Jesus says... The only way you can be clean is by your word. And we're going to touch that this morning. Abide in me and I in you. You can't bear as a branch fruit by yourself. You have to do it by abiding in the vine. You can't do that. In fact, I am the vine. He says it a second time. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. See the progression? Bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit. 
he says. So you can see this. Fruitfulness isn't an option. It's not an option at all. If you listen to the parable of Jesus when he's talked about the soils, he says there are, the word of God falls on certain types of ground. And some of the grounds choke away because the world, the pleasures, and all the things. And, the, and three out of the four grounds are not good. They don't ever bear anything. Somehow it's, they don't get, the sun scorches them. They get choked out. They hear the word. They take it in, but it never changes them. So they're not real. But the last one, he says, falls on good ground. And here's what he says. And that good ground produces fruit. Now listen, he says, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. So everyone bears fruit who's really a branch. Now how much fruit you bear is completely a sovereign thing with God. Right? So you will bear fruit. How much fruit? That's up to God. He makes some pastors, and when they preach, tons of people get saved. And sometimes it's just here and there. He may use you as a... As a Lay person, in some ways, is amazing, sometimes not. Not because you're less faithful, not because you're less righteous, not because you're less abiding or connected. God is in control of how much fruit we bear. But what the reality is, is that we will bear fruit. There is no, no such thing as a fruitless branch that is really connected, he says. If anyone, verse 6 says, does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And what do they do with those branches? They are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's the destruction judgment statement, which Jesus has already made clear by the other passages. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you ask what you wish, and it will be done for you. Last verse. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Listen, what is the phrase next to it? And so prove to be my disciples. See, disciples make disciples because they are disciples. You get it? We bear fruit because that's who we are. That's how we prove. You can say, I abide in Jesus. How would anybody know? That's a subjective statement. I can tell you, I know Jesus. I abide in Jesus. I love And that's great, and we should say those things, but it's all subjective. How do you really, really know? See, the objectification of it is I bear fruit. If I don't bear fruit, there's a question mark, isn't there? I'm going to read these ones. Two minutes. Fruit inspection. I wrote them down and and read them over this week myself. Okay? Listen to Jesus. Matthew 3.10. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew 7, 17 and 18, a healthy tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree cannot bear fruit because it is diseased. Matthew 7, 19, every tree that does bear fruit, does not bear fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Same verse, second time. Matthew 12, 33, you shall know them by their fruits. And he says, a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. And then the one we said before, Matthew 21, 19, Jesus comes before he walks into the Jerusalem. He's on his donkey, and he's about to walk in. He gets off of it, and he sees a fig tree. Do you remember this story? And he walks over to the fig tree, and the disciples point out this. Master, this fig tree, it only has leaves on it, and it should be fruit on it. And you know what Jesus says? He says, 
you are cursed, and may fruit never grow on this tree again. And a short time later, they walk back out, and they see the tree is dead. (laughs) What is Jesus saying? Because the fig tree was a symbol of Israel. He says, listen, see, you only have leaves, but you have not fruit. You know what Jesus' perspective on that is? Judgment. Judgment. So there's a fruit inspection. And Jesus looks, and he looks at our lives, and he says, hey, I know you go to church, and I know you do this, I know you, but listen, are you really connected to me? And here's the objective reasoning for that. Are, is there fruit? Is there fruit? Does it show in your life? And I'm going to tell you in very particular terms this morning what that fruit really is. But Jesus says there's a fruit inspection. In fact, interestingly enough, you read 2 Corinthians 5, all the passages in Revelation and numerous other places. When people stand before the judgment of Jesus and the Bema seat, here's what uh, Paul says. And we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What? To receive those things which were done in our bodies, whether they be what? Good or bad or evil. Why is it that they, and they were judged according to their works. Is it because you earn yourself the way to heaven? No. We don't work our way to heaven. But when God stands and says, here's the judgment on your life, he's going to say, look at all the objective things. All your works, the fruit, the lack thereof. He's going to say, here's why my judgment is true. Because look at your life indicated about who you really were. And that's the scariest part. I mean, Jesus says, here it is, fruit inspection day. And you'll have to give an account for those things. And Jesus says, good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. So Jesus says, you know, it's best that you and I do a fruit inspection on our own before he does. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the vine analogy that we are branches and the reality of being connected to Jesus and abiding in him is fruit bearing. So let us honestly evaluate our lives and say, is there really fruit there? Real fruit, fruit that abides and remains. Father, I pray that would be so for all those who claim the name of Jesus here at Faith Baptist Church. Help us, prune us, Make us more like you. We pray in your name. Amen.